When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aspiration. That's the nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, September 26th, 2023. Aspiration is when you have a hope or ambition of achieving something. That's the definition. Teams go into a season with different levels of aspiration. You can aspire to finish 500. Who would want to do that? You can aspire to improve on last year's record. You can aspire to have more health, more fans, more revenue. Forget it. I want to aspire to win a World Series. I aspire to win a Super Bowl. But pundits, they tell you what your aspiration should be because they simulate the season 10,000 times, because they do their rankings, power rankings. They tell you exactly what you're going to do, what you're going to hit, where you're going to finish. The Cincinnati Bengals and the New York Jets both aspired to be Super Bowl contenders. You would not have been in the minority if you thought that the Bengals and Jets could meet in the AFC Championship. In baseball, with the season coming to an end, there are teams sitting down, and we're going to talk about it later in the show, teams that had aspirations to be in the World Series, win the World Series, and they will be going home in six days. When you have aspirations and things happen that always happen during the course of a season, unexpected lack of performance, overperformance in one area, underperformance in another, injuries that you did not think would happen versus injuries that you actually planned for based on history of a player. Let's start with Joe Burrow because the Cincinnati Bengals got a much needed win last night against the Los Angeles Rams. 19 to 16, a real barn burner, Joe Burrow earning every penny of his $275 million five-year extension that he got right before the season started. Joe Burrow is injured and the front office has to make a decision. I want to side note here, Coco, sorry, this is not part of the show, but I just thought of this. When you have a star who's injured, the front office gets involved with the training staff and the doctors in a way that they don't when it's a fringe player. If you've got a fifth starter or a 12th man in the bullpen or a bench player who's hurt, the trainer will tell you something and the doctor will tell you something and you'll be you'll say okay whatever and you move on to the next guy next man up when it's your superstar who's hurt there are meetings and i don't just mean phone calls we would call the doctor hey we want to see you in the clubhouse we want to talk about this and we want to know what is the fastest path back to health What is the minimum amount of time 
that we have to deal without having this player. Then the doctors do what they do, which is say, well, you can bring him back X, but he's got a Y bigger chance of getting hurt if you bring him back at X. But if you wait until X plus Z to bring him back, then his chance of re-injuring is diminished. And then we sit down as a front office, we shoo the doctor away, we shoo the trainers away, we sit down and we say, all right, we need to approach the player, we need to approach the agent, here's our plan. We need you to play. Joe Burrow's been paid. Joe Burrow is the perfect candidate for a team to call and say, hi, Joe, it's John. Cocktoasting. You're playing. Joe Burrow is the perfect candidate because he wants to play. That helps. Believe me, not all players want to play. Number one, he wants to play. Number two, he wants to win a Super Bowl and better than all of one and two is three. No matter how good you are, when you get paid for the first time and you become in historic levels of compensation, you feel, no matter who the player is, no matter which sport, you feel the PTP. We loved when players had the PTP. That's the pressure to perform. Different ways that players have that. When they are in their platform season, about to go to arbitration for the first time, there's pressure to perform. When you're going to become a free agent, there's pressure to perform. When you've just signed a big deal, there's pressure to perform. When you've just been traded from one team to another, there's pressure to perform. When you're in year three of a six-year deal and your team stinks, there is no PTP. And players are not as apt to come back as quickly as the front office would like. So having the player with the PTP enables the front office to even fully press their thumb down on that pressure point. But the problem is that even the best front offices get blinded by ego, hubris, delusion, and you, the fans, the media, we want to win. But more importantly, we don't want you to think that we stink. We want you to think that we're really good at our job. And even though you think you could do our job, we want to be able to say, I know you think you can, but you can't because look at all the hard decisions we had to make. And you make them after the fact, we make them before the fact. You get the hindsight. We don't. We're a bunch of foresighters. You're a bunch of hindsighters. That is the type of discussion that's going on right now in Cincinnati as they bring Joe Burrow back and he plays. He had the perfect quotes for coming back, saying, hey, no setbacks. Understanding the risk. Said we're getting there. Every week will be better as long as there's no more setbacks. And there were no setbacks tonight, he said. We got through it. It is very hard to watch your injured players play when you've pressured them to play, when you know they feel pressure to play, and you worry every snap, every pitch, every hit, every time they're going first to third, that there will be a re-injury or an aggravation of something. Because what your doctors have told you is, hey, it's two to four weeks. If he aggravates it, then it's going to be three to six. 
when do you become penny wise and pound foolish? Football is a sport where people are way less conservative because any missed game is the equivalent of going on the injured list in baseball and missing 10 games. Think about that. You know, we talked about putting, what was the name of that player, Coca, who was put on the pup list? Was it Jonathan, uh, Roger Taylor, Jonathan Taylor? They're John, it was Jonathan Taylor. You put him on the pup list for the Colts, that's four weeks on the assumption in an 160 game season, even though there's 17 in football, but just roughly 10 per week, 10 games for baseball equals one game in football. You miss four football games, that's missing 40 baseball games. That's a quarter of the season. That's a very big deal. But is it worth it? Do the Bengals look at the result last night? Do they look at his average yards per attempt, which is absolutely horrific right now? He can't really throw these averaging under five yards per attempt. It's, it's insane. Question, does the front office look at that and say, oh, maybe we should have sat him? No chance, toilet pants. When you get a victory, and your player doesn't get carted off, you don't think anything other than you made the right decision. So I'm fascinated by what's gonna happen as the season progresses, especially because selfishly, I need Burrow to have the PTP the entire season because they're my pick to go to the Super Bowl preseason. And if they had lost last night without Burrow or he had re-aggravated and they lost in their 0-3, then they could potentially go to 0-4. Climbing out of that hole, not easy. Joe Burrow climbing out of an 0-2 hole, much easier. He just did it last year and rode it all the way to the AFC Championship. So you put all of these factors into the pot. You stir the pot. And where does it come out with Joe Burrow? He's going to keep playing no matter what. So the thing about injuries and prepping for those injuries is that once you are convinced that a player is really out, Tommy John, torn Achilles, torn hamstring, you need to meet and make some decisions early. The first decision that a team makes when its star player is out for the year, I'm talking about the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. I'm talking about your team if your number one pitcher has Tommy John. You meet with the general manager and you make the decision, are we willing to go with who we have or must we make a move right now? The discussion is that when you make a move right now, it's always a bad move. Now, make sure you understand what I mean by that. Getting someone immediately after an injury, even if that player performs, the reason why it's a bad move is you are going to have to give up more in the trade market because you will get taken advantage of because people will know you're desperate. If you start making outgoing calls for quarterbacks after your quarterback is out for the year, they're not giving it to you for a song. You're gonna have to give up high draft picks. You're gonna have to give up high ceiling players. 
whether that's baseball or football. That's the reality of a desperate trade without leverage. So sometimes a team will say, we're going to wait. The problem is if you wait too long, your season could be ruined. If you don't wait, you are giving up a lot of capital and you're still not guaranteeing that your season is not going to be ruined. So what do early season injuries actually make you do? They make you take stock in your level of delusion. The New York Jets were chosen by many to be in the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers, the panacea, is coming home. Stu Gotts running in the aisles saying, look at the prayer in the Western Wall that Samson did. Aaron Rodgers taking the Jets to the Super Bowl. It's a slam dunk. But what if it really never was a slam dunk? What if the entire front office, Joe Douglas, the GM, and Robert Sala, the coach, what if deep down they looked at their team and said, we got a good defense. I like the offensive weapons we got, even though we had to take all these people who Rodgers wanted. Now we still have them and we have no Rodgers. But the truth is we look around the AFC and we do not in good conscience can say to our owner, Woody Johnson, hey, Woody, this is not our year. The number of GMs and coaches who say that, wait for it, zero. You need a team president and you need a GM on a long-term deal with an equity stake in order to give you an early season check. When you had Super Bowl aspirations, you have an injury and for that executive to tell you, we're done. Is that what the Jets are doing? because it sort of feels that way. Robert Sala is spending his days, weeks, and months as a Jets head coach, trying to convince you, the fan, that Zach Wilson is not the problem. It defies credibility to me. Zach Wilson is not your standard everyday backup quarterback. He was a frontline quarterback last year until you benched him. Before you got Rodgers, he was going to be your starting quarterback this year. Zach Wilson has amazing, amazing stats. Think about it. Nine games out of 24 starts in his career. He's thrown more than one touchdown pass. Way to go. Nine games out of 24. Not so bad. Now, of course, that means 13 games. Sorry, 11. God damn it, Coca. 4-8-69. 11 games out of the 24 games Zach Wilson has started, he's thrown more than one TD. Does that sound good to you? It's horrific. 13 of his 24 starts, he's thrown not. Failed to throw one touchdown pass or more. Zach Wilson does not have the confidence of his offense. He does not have the confidence of his defense. He only has the confidence of his coach, but it's not real confidence. There's another layer going on here with Salah and the Jets. Because if Salah's gonna tell you, as he did, you just don't throw people away, man. He's not the reason why we lost Sunday. When you're going to say that about 
an absolutely ineffective starting quarterback, a quarterback that all men on the roster know cannot lead them anywhere this season, that all GMs around the game know the Jets are no longer a factor this season. If you're backing that player up and doubling down, tripling down, infinity down, you're doing it because you really didn't think that your team had Super Bowl aspirations after all. Because it's not as though the Jets don't have cap space. They do. Nine million. It's not as though there aren't options out there. There are. The question is, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want to sell it? So shouldn't we be applauding the Jets front office? Shouldn't we be saying, these are the stewards we want for our team because they accurately understand the benefits of making moves? the downside of making moves, and they're really good evaluators. As fans, don't you want that? Of course not. You want your GM and your coach to be as delusional as you are. You want your GM and your coach to think, we've got this, we can do it. You want your GM and coach to convince your owner, spend the money, bring in the extra player. Let's not waste a season. Don't worry that Aaron Rodgers is done because he got a special surgery. Maybe he'll come back sooner. Let's not have our season ruined before he can come back. He's not coming back this year. Don't be ridiculous. What an interesting discussion to have is what you want your front office to be. Just think about it for a minute. Tell me what you think. Get to me at davidsampsonpodcast.com or at David P. Sampson on Twitter. I'm just curious. Do you want your front office to be as delusional as you are about your team's chances? The Jets are dealing with that, and they're dealing with something else too. I saw a headline yesterday that Joe Namath, the superstar quarterback for the Jets, the Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Jets, he of the fur coat and lack of manners, if not worse than that, had a few things to say about the GM and the coach. As a superstar alum of your organization, when you're the team president of that organization, you spend time trying to keep your alums in-house. You like them making appearances for you. You may pay them a little extra to go to a signing, to go visit season ticket holders during a game, to have people come to your suite during a game and talk to you, to bring you to see sponsors. They're ambassadors. Joe Namath ought to be an ambassador for the Jets. Instead, Joe Namath came out and said, pretty much, I wouldn't keep Wilson. I've seen enough of Zach Wilson. He also said that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas should be replaced. Quote, these guys aren't picking the right players. They aren't doing a good job of coaching. It's evident. I mean, you've got to look and see. If you have an eye for football at all, you see things are haywire. It's too crazy. They need to fix it. And that's getting rid of a lot of people and bringing new ones in. Major changes from top to bottom. If you're the owner of the Jets and you see that, I'm picking up the phone as president and I'm calling Joe Namath. And I'm saying, hey, we love you, man. Love everything you do. Love that you're a team representative but I need a small favor. 
I'm going to ask you not to crap all over our coach and general manager. I'm not saying I disagree with anything you said off the record. But what I am saying is that we need to be a united front. We need to be positive. Because people look to you, Broadway Joe, and they're looking to you to see how they should feel. They're looking to you for guidance. You're the beacon of hope. You don't have to ever be negative about anything because you're old and people look at you in a way where they say you must be wise. So if you're calm, I'm calm. If you're happy, I'm happy. But when you're angry, I have to leak to media and I have to spread the word during meetings that you're losing it. And I don't wanna do that, Joe. I wanna say that you're amazingly with it still, that your brilliant football mind understands why we do what we do. And on top of that, you agree with what we do. And of course you're thinking to yourself, damn it, David, you're telling me that you censored players. No, I could never censor Gary Sheffield. I couldn't get that guy to say one positive thing but I can choose when to use them or when not to use them. Do the Jets separate themselves from Joe Namath? When you've got a whole bunch of alum and you've got a great franchise history as checkered as the Marlins franchise history is, two rings or two rings, hard stop. You have the ability to put the focus on some versus others based on your belief of how they carry your message. That is your right as the employer and as the steward of the team. When I think about the Jets, who am I thinking about? Gastineau, Klecko, Sanchez, Namath, 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 Namath. He is so far and above the most important Jet alum that it's him and then everybody else. And you've got to be in control of that message because he's got an audience. So it's going to be interesting to me how they deal with Namath going forward. It'll be interesting to me how they deal, meaning Woody Johnson, how he deals with his GM and coach, because pretty soon we're going to be at the VOC part of the season. And it's still early in football, but not that early. The Jets under Zach Wilson, there's going to have to be a vote of confidence. And I don't mean from Sala about Zach Wilson. I mean from Douglas about Sala. And I mean from Woody Johnson about Douglas and Sala. We're just about up to that. That's how wrong things have gone for the Jets because of the Rodgers injury. Of course, my spin is that when I look at this Jets team and my view of Aaron Rodgers, which is a little different than many, in that I didn't think he had a chance and my weight to seize reflected it when he was still healthy, that the Jets with Rodgers still did not have a chance in the AFC. I thought it was much ado about nothing, way too much faith in believing that Aaron Rodgers actually was going to help the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 win, win, win. All of that said, the pressure to perform on Zach Wilson right now is significant. The pressure on Woody Johnson to figure out what he's going to do with Salah and Douglas, 
significant. The pressure on the front office to figure out their team, significant. Where does it end? It ends with an official wait to see. When I say something's gonna happen, if it does, I'll tell you. If it doesn't, I'll tell you I was wrong. Book this one. Zach Wilson will not start in week nine. I just realized, Coca, when I gave you that wait to see in my head, do the Jets have a game in week nine or is that a bye week for them? You probably should check that because then I'd have to adjust the wait to see. But my point will remain the same, but Coca will tell me what the Jet schedule is right now in my left ear whenever he's ready. Zach Wilson is not going to get better and the pressure will be so significant that by week nine, which is a Monday night game, Zach Wilson will not be their starter. Now I win that way to see if he's benched. I win it if he's injured. I win it if he's the backup. I win it under every scenario other than him taking the field for the first offensive series of the Monday night game against the Chargers. Wait to see. All right, let's take a break. We're going to come back and I'm going to talk about a movie that was a pretty personal movie and an amazing movie that I promise you haven't seen, but I'm hoping you're going to see after. And then we're going to get to talk about the Padres because they're going to have a Cy Young Award winner and they're going to have no game to play Monday. And likely they may need some new names in the front office. Hmm. We'll discuss when we come right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matthew Coca. Every day live, 8 a.m. Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe. More people watch than subscribe. I'm trying to figure out why people don't hit subscribe because I don't know what the advantage is other than it's easier for MetalArc to monetize it with more subscribers. You can follow me on Twix. Sorry, David Moulton. Combination of Twitter and 
X, I never really liked Twix bars. For whatever reason, I'm such a candy guy. They never did it for me. David P. Sampson, davidsampsonpodcast.com. There will be, what are we, a week away, Coca? We are a week away from the next merch drop. A special shirt will be released when MLB's playoffs begin. One of you will have won a contest. No purchase was required, but you guessed correctly what the next shirt was going to be. And we will release it on davidsampsonpodcast.com. New merch coming October 3rd, which coincidentally is the first day of Major League Baseball's playoffs. Okay, I watched a movie that no one told me to watch, had never heard of it. It was one of those flick-throughs, seen what's around, and I see it, and I said, well, that looks interesting. No trailers, no previews, had no idea what Bank of Dave was about. I watched the movie, and it's got Joel Fry in it, the guy from yesterday, the friend from yesterday, stars in it, along with the girl from Bridgerton, her name is Phoebe something, and the guy from the Bond movies plays Dave, his name is Rory Kinnear. It's a movie about a guy named Dave Fishwick. True story about one man in a small community outside London who decides that he wants to start a community bank. And in London, they don't have a lot of community banks. Big banks don't like when there are community banks because big banks want all the business. But what Dave Fishwick wanted to do was to start a bank where he could lend money to people in his town in order to foment economic development and prosperity. Literally, the bank of Dave. I'd like you to watch this movie because it will teach you something. And I don't mean about banking. It will teach you about community. It will teach you something that I needed to learn that I didn't learn or know early in my career. Part of this show, it's just business. It's nothing personal. The face, the character on Levitard, the face of corporate greed. You know me. This is me. I'm David Sampson. There are hard decisions that you have to make when you run a business. You have to say no more than you say yes. It's not a popularity contest. You have more information than anyone else. So decisions that you make are not going to be popular and they're not always going to be right. But a sign of a leader is someone who's able to make decisions and process information to help make decisions that are more right than they're wrong. In addition, there are things you can do in business for the benefit of people where you can still make money. In the Bank of Dave, he decided that he was gonna run this bank not for profit, that any profits made would go to charities in the community because he was independently wealthy. He decided that his way of giving back instead of, as so many of you did, gave money to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's with the challenge that just was completed two days ago. So many of you do so many things for charity. You go to events, you buy raffle tickets, you buy Girl Scout cookies. We all do things in order to help other people. Sometimes we don't know exactly who we're helping. Sometimes you do. 
when you own a community bank, you know exactly who you're helping because they walk into your bank, they're asking for the loan, they live in your community, you know exactly what business they want to start and you feel responsible to want to be helpful to them, to give them a head start, to give them a chance. That's what community banks are. They give you a chance to follow your dreams, recognizing that not all dreams will be able to come true. I enjoyed Bank of Dave so much because it made me think of my father. My father, later in his career, started a community bank just like Dave did. It was called Liberty Bank in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Employed a bunch of local people, lent money to a bunch through the bank of local businesses and individuals. He learned from his father before him, my grandfather, who also had a community bank called First National Bank of Glendale. My grandfather had no money until he was in his 50s or 60s and kept starting businesses, thinking about what to do, how to do it, and kept going, kept going, kept going, and realized that his strength was in being a people person. And there is no better avenue or vista to be a people person than being a part of a community bank where you are in your office. And I was a little boy going into my grandpa's office at the First National Bank of Glendale on Port Washington Road right near Silver Spring. And I would sit in his office and he'd be smoking his cigars and he'd have me sit in a couch in the back. And people would come in and there'd be meetings about who he was gonna lend money to, who wasn't. He'd meet with his bank officers trying to mitigate risk. I learned so much from him about what it is to make a difference in a community, what it is to both be charitable and to be in business to make money. My dad followed suit, I was much, much older when he had his bank and I watched what he did. I watched as he lifted people up by their bootstraps to help them achieve. Watched when they failed, how he could help turn that failure around. Giving people chance after chance. Bank of Dave is that type of movie that you will leave it and you will say, wow, there are people like that in the world. There are ways to succeed. There are ways to help others succeed while still succeeding yourself. Check out the movie. You're going to enjoy it. All right. I have not gotten any emails or tweets or DMs from anyone around the country or the world because only a small percentage of you actually are in San Diego. Very small. It's not even 1% of this audience is in San Diego. Yet none of you have said, man, I don't want to hear about the Padres anymore. I was a little worried about it with Coca as I was talking about things I wanted to put in the show today and things he wanted to put in the show. And as the show came together, I thought to myself, we're talking Padres again because they're in the news every day. Total dysfunction, Ken Rosenthal wrote. Now the Padres come out and they have Joe Musgrove speak and Manny Machado speak and they're addressing the Manny Machado. He's a problem in the clubhouse. No, it's Juan Soto. No, it's Scott Boris. No, it's Bob Melvin and AJ Preller not getting together. No, no, we took care of everything. Everything's fine. We don't have a toxic culture. Of course they do. Ignore every single quote you hear at the end of a failed season about how okay things were and we just didn't catch a break because we couldn't win an extra inning game. G-M-A-B. 
give me a break. Oh, we were 7-22 and 22 in one-run games, 0-12 oh, in extra innings. Don't worry, that'll all turn around next year. Let's run it back. We love you, AJ. It's not how it's going to happen in San Diego. Then news came out yesterday, which should make all other owners smile. The Padres are cutting their payroll. Because of course they are. We told you when the season started that they led the league in irresponsibility. That the Mets and Padres were being rooted against by the 28 other owners. By everyone in the commissioner's office. The only one rooting for the Padres all season long was the players union. Let's show these owners they got to spend money recklessly like drunken soldiers. That's not the expression that was used. Drunken sailors. Darn it. All right, 2869. The union wants owners to think they have to spend irresponsibly like drunken sailors. Well, the Padres did it. The problem is they violated rules that are contained in the collective bargain agreement. Do you know why and how I know that? Because the Padres have debt and you're only allowed to have debt if you have positive EBITDA. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. That's not even cash. Guess what? The Padres have negative EBITDA. Do you know what 10 times a negative number is? Not a positive number. And no matter how many caveats you get for a level of debt, which you do get a certain level of debt that you can have even with a negative EBITDA, the Padres are in violation of the debt service rule because their debt's higher than that. And they get in trouble. The trouble is you've got to lower your payroll. And the union agreed to this in the collective bargaining agreement. They've got to get into compliance. There has to be a path to compliance. And the path starts with not re-signing all your free agents. Bye-bye, Blake Snell. It was good to have seen you. Will it be bye-bye Juan Soto? He's got one year left before free agency. The Padres signed all these guys long-term. Machado, Tatis, Darvish, Bogarts, Bacall. They can't sign Soto to a long-term deal. They ought to trade him. The best value they'll get for him. They could pull at Angels with Otani. Oh, let's play it out. Let's pay him his $30 million for one year. And let's see if we run it back, do better in one-run games, better in extra inning games, find a way to replace Snell, who's going to win the Cy Young Award. Hope the dysfunction goes away because over the summer, because over the winter, the offseason, There'll be a personality change with the players. There'll be a different mix. And the toxicity will disappear magically. Poof. Remember beginning of the show, we talked about delusion. How's that for delusion? So the Padres have to figure out what to do with their players, how to get their payroll down. That's easy. Let the free agents go and trade Soto and don't replace them. It'll be hard to convince their fan base not to bring Blake Snell back because he's going to win the Cy Young because Blake Snell, while we're all sleeping on the Padres, has had the type of dominant season. And this stretch that he's on, this 23-start stretch, is the second most dominant season of my life. Bob Gibson in 1968, the year I was born. Didn't know who Bob Gibson was at that time. Didn't watch a baseball game at that time. 
However, what I can tell you is he was damn good. He had a 0.85 ERA during a 23 start span in 1968 when he won the Cy Young Award win, the award. 22 and nine with a 1.12 ERA. Wait for it, 304 innings pitched. That's when pitchers pitched innings. Blake Snell is a five and dive guy. I've been talking about Blake Snell on CBS, on NPDS for years. Don't overpay a five and dive guy. Remember Blake Snell was the guy taken out of the World Series when Tampa was in the World Series? And then Tampa lost the World Series because the bullpen blew it, but the bullpen was really good, but still blew it. But Tampa knew analytically that you don't let Blake Snell go deep into games. Guess what? Blake Snell pitches five innings. That's what he does. Once in a while, he'll give you six. But in Blake Snell's last 23 starts, he's got a 1.2 ERA. He's given up a total of 18 earned runs in 23 starts. It's insanity. The Padres are only 16 and seven in those 23 starts because their offense stinks, even with all those players on it signed to those long-term deals. No, that'll change. They'll regress back to who they actually are and everything's going to be great. We'll have a full season of Tatis. Don't you worry. The clubhouse will be fine. Blake Snell expects to get $30 million a year in a long-term deal. And whoever team gets that or signs that, good luck to you. Blake Snell is the exact type of player who will have a great platform season. He will then sign a huge long-term deal and he will not be able to ever match this stretch that he's on ever. It's historic. So to think that you ought to pay a player based on what they've done, expecting them to do it again, past results are not indicative of future performance. That's not just in the stock market, folks. That's in the sports world also. So the Padres are sitting around figuring out how they are going to change their team. And something else is happening. The owner, Peter Seidler, who is not well, and I do send him my best. I want him. He is a, I like him. He always gave me rides when I was in San Diego. He's got a pretty cool open face Jeep, like with no top, just a down to earth, cool guy, just wants to win and put all his faith in AJ Preller. So the only thing I can say bad about Pete is that he's not a good judge of GMs. But here's the other problem with the Padres. It's the same thing that happened with the Marlins where Bruce Sherman absolutely loved Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter took advantage of Bruce Sherman. Derek Jeter had an opportunity to run the Marlins his way without involving Bruce Sherman. And then Bruce Sherman woke up one day and said, holy Christ, our team stinks and we're losing a ton of money. And then Bruce Sherman's partners looked at Bruce Sherman and said, you really like this guy? I can't stand him. And Bruce Sherman said, you're right. Let's fire him. And they did. It's the same thing that's going on in San Diego. Peter Seidler has a thing for AJ Preller, but Peter Seidler has partners and the partners realize, wait a minute, we're getting our asses kicked on the field and in the cash register. This is insanity. Hey, Pete, it's time. And then Pete's going to look at AJ and say, "Uh oh, it's time. There will be a change. As I told you, there will be at the end of this season. It is impossible for A.J. Preller to keep his job, which he should have lost years ago. Because there's sometimes that GMs keep their job because it's really the owners who are making the decisions, not the GMs. 
And then the owners blame the GMs because they don't want to blame themselves. But A.J. Preller really has had control of that franchise and the names because he had the belief of Peter Seiler the same way Derek Jeter said to Bruce Sherman, bring in Garcia, baby. We love this. That's an inside joke to the 10.6% of you who are Marlins fans. The others don't even know who Garcia is. So my wait to see stands which is A.J. Preller will not survive this offseason. And one week from now, in football, I think, what do they call it, Coca? Is it, do they really call it Black Monday? What is the name of the thing where a season ends on a Sunday and then there's firings? I don't remember what it's called. But in baseball, there will be announcements that will start happening the last weekend of the season. That's when you tell your coaches who's coming back, who's not coming back, your manager as well. GMs are generally after the season. So we're going to hear about, it is called Black Monday. Thank you, Coca. We are going to hear whether the Yankees retain Boone, whether the Yankees retain Cashman, that'll be a big question. Whether the Padres retain Preller, that will be a big question. Who wins the Melvin Preller power struggle in San Diego? That'll be a question. What's going to happen with Buck Showalter? That'll be a question. Answers are starting to come. And you heard most of them here first. I'm sorry, DraftKings. I don't know what is happening to me, but I'm 129 and 134 in the nothing personal pick of the day. It's not as though I'm not analyzing and trying to give you good picks. I am. I cannot believe that Justin Verlander shoved it up the Mariners took us, took a shutter into the ninth, I think. Verlander has been fine. The Astros have been scuffling and struggling. And I thought the Mariners were going to turn it around, take advantage of the opportunity and put the Astros in a position where they had a problem. What I forgot to realize in making the pick is that the Astros have been there before and that's why they were my choice to win the damn American League. You're going to have to rip it out of their hands. They weren't going to lose to the Mariners. I'm sorry, I got that pick wrong. There are certain teams in baseball that love to play spoiler. The Pirates have been playing spoiler. We loved it. When you're a young team and you're eliminated from the playoffs, you motivate the players by saying, hey, play well, because you'll get good stats and make money. But also, if we're not going to be in the playoffs, let's make sure the hated Mets aren't in the playoffs either. Sorry, Mets fans, but that's what Marlins did. But when you're a team that underperformed and you were expected to be in the playoffs, Yankees, Padres, Mets, you're not going to play spoiler because you really don't give a crap. You just want to get to Sunday, pack out your locker and go home and get away from baseball. The grind is coming to an end for so many teams on Sunday. The White Sox are a team that in theory could play spoiler because they're young enough, they should want it, but they didn't meet expectations. Their entire team is a disaster. And the thought of them playing spoiler makes me laugh. That's why we're taking the Diamondbacks over the White Sox today as our pick of the day. The Diamondbacks need wins. They're not a shoe in to make the playoffs. Diamondbacks, Cubs, Marlins, two of those three are going to make it. One of those three will not. And the Marlins hold the tiebreaker over the Diamondbacks and the Cubs. So the Diamondbacks need to finish a game ahead of the Marlins, which is where they are now. So they control their destiny. They've got to win, and they will tonight. Diamondbacks over White Sox. Book it. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll let you know 
whether we got it right or whether we got it wrong. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Thank <laughs> you.